So welcome to Mosaic Community Church. We're people of varied backgrounds and identities who have chosen to place Jesus in the center of our community. We gather around Jesus praying for the power to overcome the forces in our American society and in the world that separate us so that we might live lives that demonstrate God's love and acceptance for all of us. We want to live in real peace with one another and experience genuine unity. We acknowledge that that takes work and so our beautifully small church is committed to helping our city and our world be even better by joining God's ongoing work so that we can all be spiritually connected, that we can live on purpose and within the purpose or the design of our lives and that we can live more satisfying lives here on earth by allowing the kingdom to break through our lives and touch the world. And so we welcome you to Mosaic Community Church and pray that you will be blessed in our worship and in our words and in our prayers that God will be seen because our desire is to lift up Jesus. Uh, he's the best thing, best person we've ever known. So enjoy worship and welcome. Good morning, Mosaic. I thought it might be good to start this morning with a moment of stillness. I know a lot of times when I'm tuning into these services on Sunday mornings, um, I have it you know, sitting on my counter and I'm baking bread or cooking or sometimes I'm cleaning or just putzing around while I sing and while I listen to the sermon. Um, so if that's you too, I invite you to pause for a moment to stop what you're doing um, and just to come to a moment of stillness before God's presence that's always with us and to take two deep breaths together um, as a prayer. So kind of um, imagine the inhale as an invitation to God's Spirit and opening up to God's Spirit in this moment, and every exhale as a prayer of surrender, just releasing any fear or worry or burden or anything that you're carrying this morning. Um, so would you join me in just being still for a moment, taking two breaths in prayer together. Amen. Welcome to Mosaic Community Church. We greet you this morning in the name of Jesus. And uh, I'd like to start service in recognition of Black History Month um, and say happy Black History Month to all of our members um, as we join together just to recognize the beauty of the diversity that is the household of God. Um, so I'd like to read a poem, but before that, I'd say this. Black joy and self-love stand in defiance of the heaviness of the dishonest depictions of black Americans. I read this poem this morning as thanks to our God who has caused us to rise up against what separates, to rise up against what denies our Imago Dei. I read this poem today in honor of black women. What wonderful human beings you and I, we are. So the poem today is, Won't You Celebrate With Me? by Lucille Clifton. Won't you celebrate with me what I have shaped into a kind of life? I had no model, born in Babylon, both non-white and woman. What did I see except myself? I made it up here on this bridge between starshine and clay, one hand holding tight my other hand. Come, celebrate with me that every day something has tried to kill me and it failed. Won't you celebrate with me? By Lucille Clifton. Oh, oh. 
join me in this prayer for our Lenten journey. Jesus, we come to this Lenten season having survived a hard year, and we acknowledge that sometimes it's hard to see you. It's hard to follow you in this world and in our day-to-day -day lives. In these next 40 days, help us to see you again. Remind us of who you are. Reorient our hearts and our minds to you and your way of love again. This past year, we have been disappointed by hate, division, greed, and selfishness displayed in our nation's leaders, in our neighbors, in our families, and even within ourselves. Lord, have mercy on us. In these next 40 days of Lent, may we empty ourselves in repentance, handing over to you these old soul-killing habits so we can make space to receive your love that never fails, never disappoints, pursues us every day, 
and can heal us. Jesus, we are desperate to see more light in the world, better systems that serve everyone, not just the few with privilege, better communities that know how to take care of each other, better church that really looks and acts like you in the world. Jesus, you said to us, you are the light of the world. During Lent, remind us, fill us, prepare us to shine bright and whole again. Amen. Today's sermon is entitled, again, The Notorious JC, His Subversive Vulnerability and Our Self-Understanding. Last Wednesday marked the beginning of Lent in the liturgical calendar. It is a celebration or an observance that happens over a 40-day period leading into Easter. It's a time of reflection upon the, event, of the events in Scripture in the life of Christ uh, that led up to and include uh, His crucifixion. So for those who choose to participate in the observance, we're choosing to participate in Jesus' sacrifice and withdrawal into the desert. It's a season marked by fasting. And this year, I'm asking us to fast in a different way. I'm asking the majority culture to fast the right to turn aside from issues of race within themselves and within our culture to not, not see what's taking place. And for the co-cultures, the people of color, to turn aside from ways that we bury the impact of racism so we can survive. I ask this so that we might be vulnerable and in our vulnerability, God can heal and develop a strength of unity in our church that defies our imagination. I'm asking God for that. So, um, as we do this fast, we will participate in a study of a book called Begin Again by Eddie Glaude. Um, and it's in response to the, the racial issues that we have faced in this last forever, but particularly in these last year, year and a half, and the disparity in the power dynamics between the races. Um, this time feels like it could be, or we could be on the verge of a breakthrough if we don't abandon or waste this opportunity as a nation. And so, as spiritual people, I want us to jump, jump, nope, I want us to wade in to this season, to wade in to this conversation. Um, it's the first for me as the leader of this particular congregation. And so I want to take care and be gentle. It is not the, our congregation's first time addressing, intentionally addressing race. I know this. But we've changed, because I'm here, and we've changed in membership. And so this new configuration in this new kind of context, we're going to dive in. So... Um, so it's a welcome opportunity. Um, it's funny, the ironic kind of funny, that we recognize Black History Month the same month when Lent begins. Lent, the period set aside for the church to recognize again and reflect upon what Jesus did to reunite us to God and each other. One would think that a yearly observance of this in a Christian society would have an amazing impact. Every year a pause, every year a reflection, every year a fast so we can reconnect to our Savior and his efforts to transform and unify the world to himself and us to each other. But it seems, it feels like the impact is negligible. Um, it doesn't seem like it's made, it's made a difference. It seems to be an observance of, of, that's 
somewhat empty of God's power. I mean, look at American Christendom. We've been celebrating this thing forever. I mean, our Christian nation was founded in the light of white supremacy. And we've been celebrating as Christian people Lent for so long. And we've never managed to address wholeheartedly, address this. Oh, there have been denominational gatherings where apologies have been offered for participation in racist acts. But where's the power that transforms the way we live life together? I was always taught that repentance involves stopping, turning 180 degrees and walking in the opposite direction. What's happened to that? That understanding of, of change, of changing direction when we repent. So, for all of us journeying with Jesus here and now, all of us who want to be changed, to be transformed, so we can do life together honoring one another, this is our stop. And this is where we ask for God's power to transform our ways as our minds are renewed through this study. So let's continue with the notorious JC and let's look at one of the secrets of transformation as we examine an aspect of Jesus's temptation that I know I don't look at enough. Let's read together Mark, the first chapter verses 9 through 15. And at that time Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Just as Jesus was coming up out of the water, he saw heaven being torn open and the Spirit descending on him like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, You are my Son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. At once, the Spirit sent him out into the wilderness. Verse 13. And he was in the wilderness 40 days, being tempted by Satan. He was with the wild animals, and the angels attended to him. After, John, after that, John was put in prison. Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Mark has a brief depiction of Jesus' baptism and temptation when you compare it to Matthew, the fourth chapter, and Luke, the fourth, fourth chapter. Now I want to focus our conversation this morning on verses 12 through 15. After Jesus was baptized, you know, we had this great moment when the sky opens and he receives the Holy Spirit as a human being. And then he's driven, directed, guided by the Holy Spirit to desert places where he's challenged. His beliefs are challenged. Will he hold to them when no one's watching? Will he be faithful? He was 40 days out there with evil, and the Spirit drove him to that place. The Spirit that came down and lived inside of the man Jesus made him go. He made him go into that which was inhospitable, to that which was neglected or abandoned, to a place of disfavor, to the wilderness. Now, when I think about being driven to the wilderness, or driven to wilderness experiences in my life, I think, okay, this is not God, right? I mean, truthfully, when, when bad things happen, we think God would not have me be in this situation. God wouldn't send me here, you know? And so somehow I might have messed up. Somehow somebody else might have messed up. This isn't right, nor is it just, nor is it fair. But Jesus, we read, was driven into the wilderness by the Spirit. Now, that's rough. I want the Spirit to come 
so I can escape. I want to, to the presence of the Spirit to flow so I can feel good. I don't want the Spirit of God to come so the Spirit can drive me to the wilderness. No, I, that's not really something I think about in terms of the Spirit. That's not something that I want. But that's exactly what happened to Jesus. And there's a lesson in it for you and I. The wilderness is a place or space that's not cultivated. In a spiritual sense, wildernesses are places where God's way of being and doing are not followed. How do I know this? Jesus was met in the wilderness by evil personified in Satan, where he was challenged with the uncultivated realities of existence. Command the stones to be bred. Cast yourself down off the pinnacle of the temple. Bow down to my systems, to me, and I'll give you the world. Now we celebrate that Jesus answered these temptations, or how he answered these temptations, with the word of God, which is wonderful. But there's more to it. And I pray I explain this well. We say or acknowledge that there is nothing higher than the word than the word or words of God. Yes, God's word is powerful. These words materialize or become actualized. God says something like, let there be light and there's light. Let there be animals and there's animals. God speaks in God's words. God's words have significance. They show us something about life and they tell us something about living life together. So Jesus spoke God's words to the temptations in the wilderness, in the uncultivated aspects of life. The words of Jesus spoke, the words that Jesus spoke showed us something about living, how we should live. The Spirit drove Jesus to the uncultivated spaces and Jesus spoke in the uncultivated spaces truths. In Matthew 4.3, evil challenged Jesus to do a magic trick. Make these stones into bread. Make new manna from heaven. Jesus' response is that uh, he wasn't going to look for new magic, but that he would cultivate the wilderness space that he was in by the words that had already been spoken by God. Words that produce something. And words that attested to the fact that he would trust that this is the way to live and that he would follow the ways expressed through God's word. Evil went on to challenge Jesus to misinterpret and misuse or twist the words of God. In Matthew 4, 5 through 6, the devil took him up, Jesus up into the holy city and sat him on the pinnacle of the, of the temple. And the devil said, if you are the son of God, jump off. Evil encouraged him to be reckless with his relationship with God, to use God. God has power and ability. So the devil encouraged Jesus to use God for his own advantage, based on the fact that God cared for him. Like God was only there for Jesus' individual purpose or whims instead of cultivating mutual, mutual loving relationships. Jesus said no to evil and yes to cultivating this wilderness space by not playing games with God and calling it following scripture. He said, thou shalt not tempt the Lord your God. And then evil challenged Jesus to serve evil systems with the promise of favor, position, and esteem. But Jesus was like, why would I accept a forgery? Why would I accept fake favor? 
not real position, not real esteem, when I can have the real thing. And then said, get behind me, Satan, for it's written, you worship the Lord thy God, and him only shall you serve. I submit to you that Jesus, that like Jesus, we are all driven to the wilderness, to the uncultivated spaces and places of life, places and spaces that don't necessarily follow the ways of God. I've experienced that in my life. I've been driven by the Spirit to, to those places and challenged to embrace evil. I think we all have. And some of us have spent the better parts of our lives there struggling with these same three things. We've struggled with believing and following God's Word as direction and instruction of the way. Instead, we want to find a new way around God new manna instead of facing the reality that our wildernesses must be cultivated and that we are appointed by God to do that cultivation, to participate in that process. We struggle individually and culturally with misusing the words of God for our own individual or family or cultural advantage instead of holding faith in a God of relationships who came to restore us all to deep and abiding relationship with one another. We sing songs like, just for me, just for me, Jesus came and did it just for me. And call that good. We struggle to let go of our selfishness. We all too often call expressions of selfishness following God. We stay in the struggle. And some of us have spent the better part of our lives serving evil systems because we enjoy the privilege and the power the systems offer us. So why cultivate the wilderness to the ways of God when the wilderness is all we desire? And so we go out of our way to build religious institutions and religious looking patterns that reinforce our commitment to evil systems and don't participate in cultivating the wilderness. I think these years uh, of COVID uh, could be called the years we face the mirror We've been forced to stop and to look at ourselves, to look at the wilderness we've yet to cultivate and know the struggle, the very real struggle to be faithful as a community or as communities of faith. My first point is that the Spirit drove Jesus to the wilderness, the uncultivated spaces of life, because those spaces must be tamed. And it takes time to tame them. For Jesus, 40 days initially, and then time. Because the scripture says that the devil, the personification of evil, came back and he had to address it. For us, I don't know how long. Some of us, you know, have stayed in the wilderness for a very long time. We like the advantages of white supremacy, so we stay. We like the advantages of, of having more resources. And so we hoard. And we twist the words of God so that we don't, we can throw scraps to the poor because they'll always be with us. When God says, as you do to the least of these, you do unto me. We look for new manna because the old manna or the bread of life only rots in the wilderness of, rots, of white supremacy and 
economic privilege. So my first point, it's the spirit that drives us to the wilderness, to the wilderness, to cultivate it to God's way. Now my next point, it really hits me. I, I hope it touches you. You think talking about the temptation is enough, but it's not. In the case in Mark 1, in those 12 through 15 verses, Jesus goes through the experience in the wilderness and he comes out of that to this news. Verse 14. Now after that, his time in the wilderness, John was put in prison. Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God. John, the spiritual rock star prophet of Jesus' time, was in prison. Now, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, wait, what? I just went through all of that in the desert, and I'm coming out thinking we're going, you know, we can be on now. It's going to be good. And the rock star is gone. They got him. And can you imagine, you know, the state that Jesus was in? Jesus was coming back from a 40-day fast. And, and you know that in a 40-day fast can take you very close to death. The body goes through a bunch of changes. And he went through a fast where he had neither food nor water. So he was coming back and, and out of a fast. And that takes something out of you. And Jesus... You know, he didn't come back from the fast skipping and singing. He ended the fast needing the angels to minister to him. And now in the state he finds out that John is in prison. I believe these scriptures help us to understand that cultivating the wilderness is no easy feat. And even after we're successful in our initial challenge, we move into another, just like our big brother Jesus did. I imagine that Jesus felt vulnerable, that he was physically weakened, mentally tired, emotionally drained, and spiritually sobered to what it would take to fulfill his mission. Now that would leave me feeling mighty vulnerable. How about you? You think you'd be that way too? Yeah. It seems that Jesus has been sent on a path that made him extremely vulnerable. The Spirit drove him to vulnerability and marked that as the spot where he would begin his ministry. He would begin his ministry in vulnerability. Let's look up the word vulnerability. And the dictionary says it's the quality or state of being exposed to the possibility of being attacked or harmed, either physically or otherwise. That it's the willingness to show emotion and to allow one's weaknesses to be shown or known. It's that risk of exposure. And for whatever reason, it seems God thought that this was a good state to begin ministry. Now for me, that doesn't sound so good. If I'm going to begin something, especially ministry, I want to begin strong. I want to begin, you know, with the full armor on and protected. But the Spirit drove Jesus to the wilderness. Now he was successful, but he came out in a weakened state. And John got pulled out of the equation. And it was as if God said, okay, here's our everything. Ready, set, now go. He put him in a place of intentional vulnerability. And in truth, when we think about his experience in the wilderness, he was vulnerable then too. Growing weak over the course of those 40 days, all of those temptations before him, and you can imagine being in a weakened state and only wanting to get out. And for him, it was a question of would he hold to his beliefs? He was exposed, a human being, but yet God. But 
experiencing this 40-day fast, this sorrow, this suffering as a human being, did he really believe? Could he really withstand the challenge? Or did he kind of believe? And we could see in the midst of dealing with this what he was made of. My second point is that vulnerability exposes us. Not to God. God already sees us inside and out. God knows us. Vulnerability exposes us to ourselves. In vulnerability, we see ourselves for who we really are. It gives us information about ourselves. Information that we then get to decide what we'll do with it. We can run in shame, or we can accept it and pretend, call it something else when we see uh, some hard truths about who we are. We can run to God and seek change. My point is this. Vulnerability is what we need when introducing ourselves to our family and encouraging our family in the way. The kingdom is the gathering place or space for the people who follow Jesus to enter the kingdom. We can see through those scriptures it requires vulnerability so we can admit our need and repent and staying in the kingdom requires our vulnerability of letting the devil, letting evil, and everybody else see what we actually believe. That we believe in the way that God is directing us. And that we believe the truth that God has a family that God is uniting and we choose to join and participate with God in uniting our family. The notorious JC, his subversive vulnerability, instead of running from vulnerability, he embraced it again and again in the course of his life in ministry. He started with vulnerability and his life ended in vulnerability. And a lot of people were changed, were transformed formed as a result. It's subversive because things aren't supposed to work like that in this world. We're supposed to not be vulnerable and be victors because we were strong. But we win. We, we experience an eternal triumph and victory through vulnerability. It's the way of God. Do we get it? Vulnerability is the way. Think on that as we begin our Lent observance. Work on answering these questions. What role will vulnerability play in your Lenten observance? How will it guide you into actions as you study begin again? How will it guide your time with our community as we come together to study? How will it guide your conversations with others? during this season when we reflect on what it cost Jesus in the living of his life and in the giving of his life to restore us relationally. How will it impact your transformation and your commitment to renewing your mind? Because the way of God takes us directly into, through, and asks us to embrace vulnerability. Let's pray. Help us, Lord, to be brave and to embrace vulnerability, trusting you with the exposure of ourselves to ourselves and to our community. We want honoring relationships with you and with one another.
help us know the power of change that comes through vulnerability and give us the strength to walk into the wilderness and cultivate it so that we and this world follow in your ways. In Jesus' name. I search the world. close, I'd like to read a prayer written by Paul. It's found in the book of Ephesians, uh, chapter 3, verse six, uh, 16 through 19. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand together with all God's people, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power.
that comes from God. Amen.